Stand and listen for these words of life in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 14 this morning. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of His glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you're being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Did you hear about the little boy who got a new bat and ball for his birthday? He went out into the yard to play as soon as opportunity afforded itself. He threw that ball up in the air, gripped his bat, and took a mighty swing and yelled, I'm the greatest batter in the world! And the ball dropped to the ground. He picked the ball up again, kind of looked at it. Had a good sense of its weight, yelled, I'm the greatest batter in the world, tossed the ball in the air again, took a mighty swing, strike two, ball falls to the ground. Little boy puts his bat down, spits on his hands, rubs them together, kind of wipes them on his shirt like he's seen his older brother do a time or two, picks up the bat, picks up the ball, says out loud, I am the greatest batter in the world, and throws the ball in the air, takes a mighty swing, and ball hits the ground. Strike three. Little boy drops the bat, picks up the ball, takes a couple of steps forward and looks as if addressing an adoring crowd, raises the ball up and says, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. The young fellow had high, high, lofty aspirations. Sometimes we have to adjust those a little or maybe put in a little more practice or give it a little more time or look at it from a different perspective for those aspirations to be fulfilled. Paul, in writing to these Christians at Ephesus, has really high aspirations Did you hear the things that Paul is praying that these Christians might experience? They are really big things. I found five things here that Paul prays for on behalf of those who would be followers of Christ in Ephesus. I want us to look at those five facets of the Christian life that Paul lifts up in prayer. The first one comes in verse 16. Paul writes, I pray that, According to the riches of God's glory, God may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit. So Paul starts with a request that God come to you, that you would sense God's Spirit in ministry with your spirit, is the way Paul says it as another place, that in that core of who you are, that God is at work there shaping and forming you and giving you strength. Isn't that something we can all use? Haven't we all experienced times in our lives where we were tired, where we were frustrated, where we've become discouraged, experienced those times 
where we felt like we fell short or maybe even failed completely. Sometimes we get in those places and it gets so deep and dark that we think it may be time to give it all up. We've all been there. We've all had those experiences. And Paul is praying for us and for all these Christians that God might come to you and strengthen you on the inside, on your inner being, in your heart and soul, where your life connects with God's life. What a beautiful place to start. And then he moves on to the second aspect, just separated by a comma in the text, and says, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. How are we connected to God? How do we maintain a vital relationship with God? Paul is saying it's through our relationship with Jesus Christ that when we have so internalized the message of Christ, when we have so focused and learned and given ourselves to God through Christ, that it's as if Christ is dwelling in our hearts, that He's lodged, you could say, in the midst of who we are, in the middle of our character that Christ is informing all that we say and do. Paul wants us to know Christ and know Christ intimately. So the first part of the prayer is that you be strengthened by the Spirit. And the second is that you would have Christ dwelling in your heart. And then he moves on to the third thing, again, only separated by a comma in the last part of verse 17 and says... Praise that you are being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love, like a plant or a tree. And we know enough about plants and trees to know that when they grow, when they flower or leaf, it tells us more about what kind of tree it is. And Paul is saying we are to be like that as human beings, that we are to be a certain kind of plant that reveals itself the fruit we are to produce in our lives is love that's what paul is saying that we're to be rooted and grounded in love and of course in the christian scriptures of the new testament the word most often used for love is the greek word agape which means that a kind of love that's willing to do the good for someone else to think about what's better for someone else to be willing to pray and work and serve so that somebody else might know the goodness of God or the love of God. It's that kind of love that Paul is praying that all of us might be rooted and grounded in as we go through our lives together. And finally, Paul gets to a period at the end of 17, but he moves right ahead in verse 18. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints or all the people of God what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And the fourth aspect of what Paul hopes we can experience as Christians is that we might comprehend and know the love of Christ in all of its many facets and in all its vastness. Paul is praying that we might be able to comprehend more than we can 
by ourselves. That in fact we might somehow be able to comprehend the transcendent nature of God. <coughs> it is like trying to comprehend the universe. Which you might remember Carl Sagan said is full of billions and billions of stars. He was a great astronomer and one of the first to begin to talk about the vastness of the universe and try to explain what our astronomers were discovering about how big the universe really is. I was reading an article this week about how big our galaxy is and I realized one of the reasons Sagan said billions and billions is because it's such a nebulous number. This writer said our best guess is that there's 250 billion stars in our galaxy. But that is, give or take, about 150 billion. The galaxy itself, the universe, is so big and goes so far that it's hard to observe and it's hard to know how many stars are really out there. But there's billions and billions, they say. The same article went on to say that our galaxy is moving or hurtling through space at the rate of 250,000 miles per hour. Where do you get a reference for that to try to understand? We drive 60 miles an hour. 250,000 miles per hour is almost incomprehensible. It's too big. It's too magnificent for us to really grasp. Paul is saying the same thing about the vastness of God's love come to life in Christ. He's saying it surpasses our usual abilities to comprehend it. And yet he prays that God might help us. And of course he believes that God is helping us because God has sent us Christ Jesus, come to be a vessel of God in human form. Come to embody all of God that a single human being can embody so that we might get a glimpse or a taste of what God's love is really all about. Then Paul comes to this last thing. He begins to wrap it up as he talks about this fifth aspect of the Christian life that he hopes that we might experience and he prays so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God this too is all but incomprehensible the fullness of God here we are finite human beings trying to grasp the infinite the transcendent nature of God is too much for us to grasp on our own. And yet Paul prays that through Christ we might be filled with the fullness of God. Paul talks about it as the mystery of Christ or the revelation of Christ. That through seeing God coming through Jesus, we might open ourselves to God in a fresh and new way so that we can be filled with all of God that we can handle. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
whose life and legacy and contributions to our society we will celebrate here tonight with a community service, tomorrow morning with the parade, tomorrow evening. I've been invited over to Vernon AME, which is one of our sister churches in the Greenwood District, part of their service. We're going to be remembering Dr. King's life and the kinds of things that he said. One of the phrases he liked to use and wrote and preached about is something he called the beloved community, where he's trying to describe this awe-inspiring love of God that has come to us in Christ Jesus and what it looks like in our lives together. What does it look like? Of course, he's talking specifically about race relations and most of his preaching and writing and yet throughout it you can hear his background as a christian pastor and theologian the son of a pastor it ripples throughout all that he says and what he wrote let me read to you a little bit about what he wrote about the goal of the civil rights movement and why he's getting involved in such a thing he's written the end is reconciliation the end is redemption the end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. It is this type of understanding goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of people. The next year, following the same theme, Dr. King said, the beloved community, it is agape, which is understanding goodwill for all. It is an overflowing love, the love of God working in the lives of people. This is the love that may well be the salvation of our civilization. I think you can hear the parallel between what Paul is praying for in our scripture reading today and what Dr. King is reminding us of as well in our lives. John Wesley was also one who believed that we might know this fullness of God filling us up. This fullness of love which Paul prays for. Wesley preached and wrote about this and said that he believed God promises to make it possible in our lives if we will open ourselves to God across a lifetime or over our lifetime. Wesley talked about it with different words. He sometimes called it holiness. He sometimes called it sanctification. He sometimes talked about it as sanctifying grace. Sometimes he called it being made perfect in love or perfected in love. And when he used perfect, he did not mean that we never make a mistake. He was saying that we had so opened ourselves to God's love and grace that God has truly changed us from the inside out. That God has transformed us in such a way that every motivation, every activity is motivated by God's love. That we desire to do nothing more but to love God and love neighbor. 
Now, Wesley also said he had never seen this in someone's life except that someone had lived a long life as a servant of Christ. He saw it as a gradual process of growing in grace, of receiving God's love and grace and allowing that evermore to shape you and form you into the image of Christ. But Wesley believed, just as the Christian scriptures say, that God wants to do this for each and every one of us. That God wants to work in our lives in such a way that we're transformed to the image of Christ. Wesley said it's like this. On the negative side, you get rid of some things. God takes away your evil thoughts and actions, your ill will, your evil intent, your anger, your stubborn pride, your ego, your envy, your lust. God will take that away as you're filled with God's love. But he says on the positive side, he's also shaping and forming you into a new person. So that you can truly obey or fulfill these two great commandments that Jesus lays out for us. To love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And to also love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is praying that such a work of God might be done in these early Christians at Ephesus, but it is a prayer worthy of us all that God might be at work in our lives in such a way that we don't live the same old, tired, frustrated life year in and year out, but that we can actually experience God's love pouring into our lives and it changes who we are and therefore how we act and how we relate and how we represent ourselves and our faith as we go through our day-to-day lives. It's out of that kind of theological foundation and theological reflections that our leaders wrote these core values. The second one, they wrote like this. The Boston Avenue Church community sees spiritual growth as a lifelong journey. It's something that takes a lifetime. Some of us get to the point in our lives that we think we know it all or we have experienced it all. I've done that in the church or I've done that with God. But at our best, we understand that God still has things in mind for us. That God still wants to grow us ever more so that we become ever more loving in God's world and are witnesses to the love of God that has come to the world in Christ. Last Thursday afternoon, our staff all stopped what they were doing and we came together for an hour to talk about this core value, to discuss how we interact with this, what we think about this, how this strikes us, how we might embody it in our work together and our work with one another and our work with you. We were given the opportunity to think about our lives in terms of our spiritual autobiography. Where had we seen and experienced God where had we come to Christ what had happened in our spiritual lives up to this point then we were asked to identify what period in your life is the place where you grew the most where did you excel where were you doing the best but we also give an opportunity to think about those times where we had struggled 
Where did you not grow very much? Where maybe were you on a plateau? Where did, had you struggled in your spiritual life? And then we were invited to think about what we were going to do this year. And to look at those kinds of experiences in our past and think about our life here in the church and make some decisions or commitments about how we were going to go forward. What ministries and programs we might be connected with in this coming year so that we could be a growing Christian. So that we can embody this second core value that really spiritual growth is a lifetime or a lifelong journey. So where are you? What's the edge of growth for you this year? What might you need to engage in or participate in so that God can continue to grow you in grace, to grow you in love, or as Paul says, to fill you with all the fullness of love? I wonder what God would do if all of us committed to this kind of Christian life. Let us pray for one another as Paul prays for these early Christians. What would it be like if every one of us here at Boston Avenue began to pray for the others in this congregation the kind of prayer that Paul prayed? That the others around you in this community would be strengthened in the Spirit and that they would have Christ dwelling in their hearts, that they might be rooted and grounded in love, that they might know the surpassing greatness of God alive in their lives filling them with the fullness of love what would our life look like if we were all praying that fervently day to day for one another what might god do in our midst and with our church if we were all focused on that kind of prayer for each other i think god might do some marvelous things if we're willing to pray for one another amen Thanks be to God.